Hey, DJ Flook here from Stadium Scenes Main Event. Networking has become more important than ever, so why are you still carrying around paper business cards that end up lost or in the trash? Our friends at Link have created a solution to that problem by getting your contact info directly into that person's phone with a simple tap from your plastic business card, a bracelet, or even an Apple Watch band. When it's time to update your contact info, make the change in their easy-to-use networking app. For listeners of Stadium Scenes Made Event, you can save 15% by typing in promo code StadiumScene, that's all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit linkapp.com. That's L I N Q A P P.com. There's a lot of people in the sports world nowadays athletes, media personalities, bloggers, podcasters, video producers, influencers all with amazing stories to share about how they got to where they are today and where they're going tomorrow. I'm DJ Fluke, and along with my partners, Kate Thompson. I'm sorry, I didn't go to a college that has football teams, so sometimes I space out. And Jillian Fisher. Hey! Oh my gosh, I alerted my pug and he's like, oh no, don't bark, please don't bark. We're here to share those stories in something we like to call StadiumScene.tv's main event. Hey, before we get started, this episode was also recorded as a video, which is available on YouTube via the description of this podcast episode. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Fox Sports men's college basketball analyst and former UCLA and St. John's head coach Steve Lavin. If you missed part one, scroll back up and check that out. It's definitely been an interesting conversation. If you've already listened, thank you very much. And here is part two. One last thing on on UCLA before we we move on. You know, you, you transitioned to head coaching there. There was a you know obviously a well documented scandal that resulted in Coach Herrick's firing. You know, I'm not going to talk about the scandal. It's well documented. But what went through your mind when, you know, you found out that there's a, a scandal and I'm assuming, you know, the athletic director came to you and said, you're the guy to get us through this. Like what, what goes through your mind as an assistant that now all of a sudden the, the future of UCLA is in your hands? Yeah, very surreal, um, overwhelming. And, you know, naturally, UCLA was going to do a national search, uh, which they did. So, you know, it really was in a difficult situation uh, with Coach Herrick, you know, being dismissed. Uh, they go with the longest tenured assistant to be the interim coach. And I had been there for five seasons and a part of the national championship staff and the success that Coach Herrick had. And at that point, I also was the recruiting coordinator. And so, uh, Pete Dallas and Chancellor Young, you know, asked me to step in as the interim coach. And they said it could be a couple weeks. It could be a month. Uh, we don't know when we're going to, you know, uh, find a permanent coach. And um, so, you know, it started tough. Uh, we lost to Tulsa uh, in the NIT opener uh, at Poly Pavilion. Oh. And that was disappointing, uh, naturally. It was like an overtime game. And uh, it was all surreal because it's your first time, you know, at a press conference. Uh, it's your first practice leading a team as a head coach. It's your first exhibition game. And then it's your first, you know, non-conference game. 
uh, against Tulsa in this case. Uh, and then the next thing you know, you're going against Lon Kruger at Illinois and Roy Williams, in Kansas, and Charlie Spoonhauer, St. Louis, Man. Denny Crum at Louisville, and um, Coach K of the Duke Blue Devils, uh, who was one of those coaches I'd been writing to in college. And then all of a sudden you're facing him at Poly Pavilion, a sellout crowd with uh, Dick Vitale. And uh, I think Brett Musburger calling the game for ABC. So, you know, those were surreal kind of pinch me um, and my dreaming moments and uh, coach Wooden, of course, behind the bench. And that was uh, the reason I ended up, you know, having the interim tag lifted was, you know, my advocate was, was John Wooden. And that goes back to the relationship at Purdue and those years, pick him up at the airport, drive him to his hotel and bring him over to the arena for practice, get them to the events that he was speaking at. Um, so you just never know. Um, and so his advocacy behind the scenes was really important. Um, he's not someone publicly that advocates, but having the nod, uh, the approval of uh, John Wooden was really important. And Chancellor Young well, I had, <laughs> yeah, Ch Chancellor Young had been a young president at UCLA uh, towards the end of John Wooden's run. John Wooden retired in 1975 and and Chuck Young was there in the early 70s as a young chancellor. And Pete Dallas, the athletic director, uh, was, you know, in school as a football manager um, when Coach Wooden was at UCLA back in the day. Coach Wooden was hired in 1948. He retired in 1975, so a 27-year run uh, with the Bruins. And Jim Millhorn, who was the number two athletic director, had played for Coach Wooden. Uh, Pete Blackman, the vice chancellor of the school, had also played for Coach Wooden. So uh, if if Coach Wooden doesn't advocate for me, then, you know, probably John Calipari or Rick Majerus or Tubby Smith or, you know, some of the other coaches um, that UCLA had interest in would have been hired. Oh, wow. um, so, uh, again, back to just destiny and fate and uh, the kind of fragile nature, uh, whether it's Tyus making that shot or missing it and how everything moving forward would be different. And if I hadn't started my career at Purdue and met coach Wooden, um, and then along with meeting Mark Gottfried and coach Herrick, and these other aspects, of course, uh, that come into play, but to all those things, you know, play a part in leading to today and us sitting down here and my work as a broadcaster, ABC, SPN, and now Fox sports and, and, uh, Turner and CBS during the NCAA tournament, um, they're, you know, all transitions, but they're connected uh, to these things that go back to writing letters to coaches uh, as a sophomore in college. And uh, that's why when I, you know, work with young people or, you know, speak to uh, high school students or to college students about, you know, their interest in certain careers, um, you know, I always go back to the relationships you build and the authenticity and sincerity of those relationships. Um, it's not networking because I think people say, oh, so it's about networking. You go to a job fair. And I'd say, no, it's about the genuine, sincere, um, you know, nature of the relationships that you build. And if you're interested in learning and you're earnest about learning, um, that's when magical things start to happen because you're increasing your knowledge base and you're meeting people with life experience. 
And uh, I've been fortunate that I've always had older people that I connected well with, uh, whether it was Brent Musburger in television, um, Coach Katie, Coach Wooden, um, Coach Herrick, uh, Pete Newell, you know, uh, those coaches that took time to write letters back, like Bob Knight, Mike Krzyzewski. And so both in television and in coaching, it was the uh, knowledge that, you know, older people with life experience shared and their willingness to spend time and to see some potential in a young person and uh, encourage them. So that's a big element too, that I think, you know, we have to remember sometimes we need encouragement, you know, from coaches and mentors and teachers and our parents and our friends, because we may not have the courage ourselves. And that's what encouragement is about is providing courage when maybe someone doesn't have it, giving them that nudge, a little motivation, inspiration uh, to uh, encourage them on the path or maybe to help redirect them because you can see more clearly than they can themselves uh, the gifts that they have and possess and where they might be better suited going in a different direction, a different field. And um, so that kind of, you know, comes back to some of these other themes that we've been uh, talking about today. So can, can you mentioned you've gone into broadcasting. Your first mm -hmm. job was with ESPN, correct? Yes. So how did you make that jump from coaching to broadcasting? Yeah, that's interesting because as a youngster, I had an interest in media and an interest in journalism, an interest in broadcasting. Um, as a child, my parents got a kick out of it, but I used to listen to Larry King coast to coast. It was late night radio before he had a television career. Um, he would be on radio through the night and uh, talking about sports, politics, pop culture, history, uh, really interesting. So, and I also was fortunate. I grew up in the Bay area with some great voices. I was a Warriors fan and their announcer was Bill King, a hall of fame broadcaster also did Raider games late in his career, did the Oakland A's. Uh, Lon Simmons was the voice of the 49ers and the Giants. Uh, Hank Greenwald also called Giant Games. Lindsey Nelson, uh, Red Rush, uh, late in his career as well, was out here in the Bay Area. So uh, I grew up, in my view, with you know during a golden area of Northern California, a golden era uh, in a golden area as well, San Francisco and Northern California. Um, I'm a little biased in that view because I was born and raised here. Uh, but I think listening to those broadcasters, and that's before, you know, we had the number of, you know, sports channels and uh, before Sports Center, And so, you know, you listen to sports talk radio, you listen to the games, the pregame show, the postgame show. And um, my father was a writer. And, you know, he actually edited uh, a book uh, called Action. And it was a book that was used. Uh, in high schools and colleges. It was an anthology of the best sports writers in the country and their profiles on a Roger Bannister, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a, a Willie Mays. Um, he was Lou Alcindor, I think, when this article was written, but later Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he uh, converted to becoming a Muslim. Um, you know, Hank Aaron, uh, these wonderful profiles on bullfighters. And so whether it was Jim Murray or Steinbeck uh, on bullfighting, and so I think, you know, for me, 
Um, I was a challenged learner, uh, but my father, who was such a creative, fresh and original thinker when it came to education, uh, turned me on to the comics and uh, also brought me to a lot of foreign films because, you know, I think the left, right brain with the subtitles, watching Fellini, Cocteau and Truffaut, these, you know, wonderful foreign filmmakers at a young age uh, and Charlie Chaplin, which had subtitles as well. And so that helped me uh, kind of develop reading skills. And then he turned me on to the sports section and uh, helped me with math through showing box scores, you know, in baseball, you know, if someone goes three for 10, they're hitting 300, you know, and, um, you know, shooting percentages from the foul line. And so, and that's how he was through a 50 year career in education is he would look at a student, get to know that student in an authentic, genuine way and then find really fresh, creative, lively ways to reach that student, inspire him. And uh, so whether he was working with kids at Cal Berkeley or San Francisco State, you know, College Marin or prisoners at San Quentin, he taught on Monday nights at San Quentin. And oh, wow. this, that's when it was a maximum security prison back in the day. And um, so he just loved to teach. And it was literature, philosophy, poetry and writing. Um, but I think that played a part because uh, I wanted to be a sports writer. And then, you know, life happens. And so it's come full circle because now I am in, you know, sports journalism and broadcasting. And so the two things I had interest in as a youngster, which was broadcasting and sports writing, I wrote for the local newspaper. I covered high school sports in the off season from basketball. Uh, so when I wasn't, you know, playing basketball, I was covering track and field and football and baseball uh, for the local newspaper, newspaper, the Ross Valley Reporter. And um, and so and I actually started corresponding with sports writers in the area, uh, Lowell Cohn um, and uh, some other writers here. And I actually was able to get to some press conferences, uh, you know, the 49ers press conferences and be able to sit in on Bill Walsh being interviewed. Uh, by the Bay Area media. And so at one point I thought I was going to be a sports writer or a sports broadcaster. Then coaching ended up becoming a passion. Uh, but then I returned and that's why I've had these two stints in broadcasting, uh, one with ABC ESPN. Then I went back to coaching at St. John's and then now Fox Sports and um, CBS and Turner during the NCAA tournament. So I've kind of had these intermittent sabbaticals in broadcasting and then coaching uh, when I'm not in the broadcasting field. They complement each other because, you know, coaching informs a perspective that I can bring to the viewer at home uh, when they're watching a game. Um, and then TV informs a certain perspective because you're traveling uh, throughout the country and you're watching other coaches prepare their teams and you're sitting courtside uh, for shoot arounds and uh, practices and then the games themselves and all those things inform and increase your basketball acumen, even just watching the way coaches throughout the country are utilizing their staff and seeing the new trends in terms of taking advantage of rules, whether it's a shorter clock or the three point line and uh, or recruiting and facilities, the infrastructure of seeing what people are doing in terms of locker rooms, weight rooms and uh, film work and the way they scout and prepare for upcoming opponents. And then all those things you bring with you as I did when I went back to St. John's uh, for coaching after having that time off. 
And I think there's a wider angle lens when you're in television, uh, you're seeing things at a more deliberate pace and you're seeing things with more clarity. Uh, I was a young coach. I was 31, 32 years old when I took over at UCLA, the youngest coach in school history, youngest coach in the country at the time, or maybe second behind Steve Alford um, in terms of my age. So you're, you're learning as you go and you don't know what you don't know when you're a first time head coach. It's like your first child, right? Versus your third or fourth child. Uh, parents improve if they're interested and they're engaged in their children. You know, teachers, uh, the first lesson plan uh, isn't going to be, you know, as refined or as effective as a lesson plan after 25 years in education or teaching a particular subject, uh, whether it's history or philosophy or science or math for that matter. So um, you do get better. And I think broadcasting allows you to have some distance and not be so myopic and so fully immersed on, and in, on that hamster wheel in that frenetic pace that it takes to be a coach at a high level because you're recruiting 24 seven, you're putting out fires, uh, you're working with the media, you're fundraising, uh, you're preparing teams, you're working with players individually and collectively. And uh, there's the psychology and mental health aspect of coaching as well. And uh, discipline, you know, elements that you have to deal with. And so there's a lot on the plate uh, of a head coach in today's world and uh, grateful for it, extremely rewarding, uh, but it's a lot. I think that's why you're starting to see some of these coaches step aside and uh, retire and enjoy the remaining years they have uh, on earth uh, and with their family and, and to be able to smell the roses, so to speak, because uh, so often with the pace uh, of coaching, you're not really able to fully appreciate it in the here and now. You try to be present and give thanks and be appreciative, but it's really looking back that uh, you have a greater sense of appreciation for the opportunities you've had in a respective career. We're running close to the, the end of our time. And I just want to make sure I yeah. get a chance to ask this to you before. So yeah, in, yeah. in 2011, I believe it was while you were at St. John's, you were diagnosed with, with prostate cancer. looks like it was kind of quiet for a while before the, the diagnosis mm -hmm. went public. Like what was you know going through your mind, hearing that, you know, obviously a life changing just, you know, situation with your, with your yeah. doctor and how did, you know, how did that impact your, your philosophy with, with coaching? Yeah. Wow. That's another uh, good question. And, you know, number one, uh, it's another surreal moment and um, naturally, you know, hit you like a ton of bricks in terms of the force, um, you know, of that message, that diagnosis uh, when you receive the call. And I definitely needed time to process. You know, I only shared it uh, with my wife at the time, Mary, and uh, my mother and father. I didn't share it with anybody else, uh, partly because I just still need to process. And then also on a practical level, um, you know, after my first year, we lost I think, 12 players, moved on, who would use their eligibility. Just an unusual, uh, probably unprecedented at the higher levels in terms of power conference situations to have. Uh, that degree of an imbalance of your roster. And uh, so we knew that, you know, our eyes were open that, hey, we inherited 12 seniors, but, you know, we basically were going to be starting over in year two, almost like an expansion team, you know, uh, Tampa Bay or something, the Devil Rays. And, um, 
And so I wanted to make sure that we signed a class uh, first. Um, and we were able to sign the number three rated class in the country, Maurice Harkless and Amir Garrett, Jakar Sampson, Don Pointer, Phil Green, D'Angelo Harrison, um, Norvell Pell, who was going to come, but uh, didn't end up, you know, arriving. Uh, there were some eligibility issues at that intersection. Uh, God's gift was a junior college player. So we reloaded uh, rather quickly. Um, but I wanted to get through that season. I also didn't want our first season to be a situation where anything would take away or distract uh, from, you know, all of our energies being focused on the task at hand. And I thought that senior class deserved it. Uh, Norm Roberts had done a wonderful job of kind of stabilizing St. John's program. And, um, you know, the next step, you know, our responsibility being the new staff was to take the baton from Norm Roberts and move it forward and uh, make a postseason uh, to make an NCAA tournament because it had been a decade uh, since St. John's had been in the NCAA tournament and a wonderful group, DJ Kennedy and Paris Horn and Malik Booth and Dwight Hardy and Justin Burrell and, um, you know, a number of, of other players. Dwayne Poli was a freshman on that team who was the uh, California player of the year, LA player of the year. So I didn't want anything to derail, you know, our focus, our momentum. Uh, and I thought, you know, sharing uh, the news of my cancer could potentially do that, uh, given, you know, we had our sights on trying to, to make an NCAA tournament, send these seniors out in a deserving fashion. And then there was that other element that I wasn't ready to, uh, to share something so personal. And I was fortunate my father uh, had cancer and also a quadruple and a triple bypass uh, after a massive heart attack that he suffered in his, in his forties. Um, and then he had a triple bypass in his seventies. So I was fortunate to have a father who had been through a great deal um, and was there as a support mechanism and to kind of share his experiences with cancer. And so that was a great sounding board. And uh, then at the end of the season, uh, you know, we had already signed that number three class in the country. And that's when, you know, naturally I shared it with our school president, our athletic director, and, and then began to really, roll up the sleeves and do the research on what was going to be the best uh, treatment, you know, for my cancer. And uh, Peter Scardino was my surgeon and uh, highly recommended. He came from uh, the, uh, what's the name? It's a great school, uh, the great uh, Sloan, Sloan Memorial, Memorial Kettering. Or I may have a sequence of those, that name out of, uh, you know, out of order, but, uh, he was an outstanding doctor and, and saved my life. And so I'm indebted and grateful to him forever. And I'd say big picture, um, you know, as you get older, life experiences, again, back to that, you know, perspective and looking at the world through a different lens, uh, a different prism, uh, you know, losing uh, my, my, my father in 2013, uh, shortly after my own cancer battle, I lost my dad on February 10th, 2013, right before we played Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. And then losing my mother, uh, January 25th, uh, 2018, you know, and the cancer uh, and being shown the door at St. John's after we made the NCAA tournament, uh, all those things inform, you know, just a different perspective. And um, you uh, are grateful, you know, to be able to get up in the morning and have a pep in your step and be able to 
go get a cup of coffee uh, here in the neighborhood and uh, to get my steps in, in terms of walking and uh, you know, to be able to now follow uh, the trajectory of, you know, my UCLA players who are now, you know, 20, 25 years out of UCLA and, and thriving in their respective journeys. And then now watching my St. John's players are in their late twenties and early thirties and to follow their careers. That's really what it's about is the relationships and um, wanting to participate in the dreams and aspirations of young people, just like those coaches and mentors and parents and teachers uh, that participated in my journey uh, and uh, my aspirations and dreams. And so you're bringing it full circle. And uh, to me, that's the most rewarding an important aspect of teaching and coaching and mentoring. And so I've, I've been fortunate, been blessed, uh, grateful uh, for this 33 year run associated with basketball as a broadcaster and a coach. And uh, to be able to go back and forth makes it even more unique uh, and special. And then uh, meeting friends like you and uh, being able to participate with you guys today uh, uh, on this, this podcast. Really appreciate that. So Kate, of course. Uh, we're closing out on, on time. Do you want to, Pick one of the, the last questions from the, the list. Sure. If you were to pick an animal to represent basketball, <laughs> what would it be? Wow. I'd say a deer uh, or a cat. You know, okay. a deer, deer is because of their grace and the speed, um, the quickness. You know, Tyus Edney was a quick cat, right? Maybe as quick as any player I've ever coached. Um and, you know, balance and quickness, uh, Coach Wooden felt, were the two most important words in basketball. And balance and love were the two most important words uh, in life, in his view. You know, uh, emotional balance, you know, physical uh, balance and love, right, as a foundation uh, for everything uh, coming from a place of love, unconditional love. And you can't go wrong with that. And in basketball, uh, balance of, you know, a jump stop, uh, floor balance, you know, offensively in terms of your spacing, uh, defensively, your balance in transition uh, to try and prevent teams from getting a good look uh, before your defense gets back and gets set up. And uh, balance of, you know, the head between the midpoint of the two feet with the knees flexed, um, you know, balance on your catch, uh, whether you're inside, you know, wanting a, a wide base and to be on balance. Um, or on the three-point line in your shot preparation, being down and ready, uh, flexed at the knees so you're quicker in getting into your shot and uh, the important shot mechanics that start at the floor with the feet. So a cat, uh, not only do they have nine lives, which is a positive, uh, but their, their you know, ability to always have their feet under them. And I think the great basketball players – organize their feet, whether they're in traffic, they're maneuvering at a speed where they're still uh, on balance. There's a fine line. Be quick, but don't hurry was another coach wooden phrase uh, because usually a turnover, a mistake, uh, things we, you know, we say that we can't take back. They're usually done in haste. Um, you know, whether it's we're so emotional and we just say something that really could hurt someone because words do matter. We learn that every day. Um, and there's a greater awareness of how words hurt people, uh, whether it's bullying or in social media. Um, so, you know, I, I think that balance is so important and uh, organizing those feet 
uh, still moving at the appropriate speed. You want to be quick again, but you don't want to uh, be out of control, uh, similar to driving, right? Um, you don't want to drive too slow. You know, you can end up getting a ticket for that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when merging onto a freeway, coming off a freeway, uh, driving downtown, uh, you know, versus driving on the freeway, you know, and I think with the ball in your hand, uh, very similar to driving, you've got to be able to read the situation, see what's in front of you, you know, look at your rear view mirror, see what's behind you. That's really a sense of where you are, court awareness. Um, and so a deer, because of the speed and the grace, and then a cat, uh, because of their, their balance and the nine lives that they have as well, which is important because you got to be resilient in the game of basketball and in life. And the beautiful thing about team sport is in its purest form, it's a metaphor for life, right? It's the values and virtues, the attributes, the traits or characteristics we learn through team sport. Now that's why we're so inspired by musicians that work or dancers, right? That are working in concert to create something beautiful and memorable and inspiring, uh, whether it's a symphony or it's jazz or bossa nova or hard rock, you know, they are working together uh, personally, I love R&B. Uh, so, uh, and same at a musical, right? We are inspired when we get to see people work in concert and team sports allows us to learn from athletes. And also athletes are able to learn to prepare themselves for life after sport uh, through what they learn playing the sport. And uh, they, they carry that forward for the rest of their lives. It doesn't guarantee they're going to have the life they want or uh, may not be happy days or still going to be tough times, but I think uh, the resiliency, the bounce back factor uh, for those athletes that are navigating tough times, they have a reference point. And I think uh, that's why sometimes, you know, the student body at large that doesn't experience what a student athlete does uh, isn't as well prepared. Um, nothing against the regular student athlete, you know, the, uh, I mean the regular student body, but student athletes, I feel, uh, are better prepared for life's challenges. And, and that's, I know in my case, what I learned from playground directors and, and coaches and teachers and mentors, uh, that's really carried me forward uh, when having difficult times, whether it's cancer or being the show, show in the door in coaching or having a tough loss. Uh, you know, how you respond is so important. And, and that goes back again to the cats landing on their feet and uh, being alert you know, and uh, their, their overall awareness, even when they're taking naps, those whiskers, you know, that they have to help in terms of their, their alertness. So that's, that's what you want on defense, that alertness to be down, flexed, coiled. And uh, so there you have it, a deer and a cat. If we could combine those two, we'd have the perfect basketball player, which is probably uh, DeAndre Ayton. He's about as good as it gets. I've said oh, before, yeah. if God created a basketball player, uh, it would be DeAndre Ayton. Oh, man. His, his grace, his length, Come his on. feel, his touch, uh, his presence, his poise, uh, his, his athleticism, his temperament and bearing. I just, I think he is really special. That is the most well thought out answer to one of Kate's questions <laughs> you've heard since doing this show. <laughs> That's called a riff. That's called a riff, right? You got to. You, you allow for a riff in jazz. You got to allow for the riff, right? The Izzy Brothers on the electric guitar. You got to let let the gifted ones uh, riff. Oh man! So I, I think that's a, a good way to close out the episode, um, Kate. That was not one of the questions I was suggesting, but hey, I think that worked out even better. So <laughs> good. I love it. Yeah, mix it up. I'm a big fan of Animal Planet and the Nature Channel, and my players 
if any of them watch this podcast, will get a kick out of because on a continual basis, I would use examples from the animal kingdom uh, and use it in terms of how it's applicable to sport. You know, for I'll give you a quick one to get your arms up and out like the antlers, right? Um, because you want to take up space. And when you're playing defense or offense, you know, you want to use, get those antlers like the branches on a tree, get them up and out. They help you get deflections. It helps you contest shots. You know, it prevents, uh, you know, offensive teams from window shopping and, and playing over the top of your defense, get the antlers up and out, you know? Um, so I think, you know, even just, we talked about cats, but the tigers and lions too, in terms of that, if you're in your stance, right, you got to be flexed and coiled and ready to pounce on a loose ball or to convert from offense to defense or defense to offense, either way, conversion, both mentally and physically is really important. And uh, if you watch animal planet or nature channel, uh, you're watching some cats that are down flexed and coiled like crouching tiger, a good film, by the way, yeah. uh, we'll get into cinema, some yeah. other podcast. We'll, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll spin off and start a cinema series. <laughs> there we go. We'll get our own Siskel Ebert thing going on. Love it. <laughs> Yeah. So, on that note, uh, Coach Levin, thank you so much for spending uh, spending your time. This is uh, you know we're recording this on a Saturday afternoon. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to talk with us. It has been uh, really really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise, and you guys are a good team. Uh, you. you guys have a good got a good rapport, even though you're in separate locations, right? Phoenix and Chicago, and I'm here in San Francisco. So there's some uh, triangle there, but. Uh, but I, but I enjoyed the questions and your, your authenticity. We talked about authenticity earlier and also your good listeners. Cause I've, I've uh, chatted quite a bit here on this podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, if, if the PAC 12 network comes to ASU this year, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to swing by and say hello. So please do. And uh, even if you come through LA or come through San Francisco, the invitation is there for both you two. I'm a good concierge. I can take you on some hikes some walking trails that are outstanding here and some good haunts in terms of restaurants and uh, some, some uh, hole in the wall bars uh, for a couple of beverages as well. A couple of root beers. Yeah. Do you, do you play golf? I don't play golf, but I go to, you know, tournaments for good causes, you know, coaches versus cancer, different fundraisers. Um, and I'm usually put in charge of, you know, one hole or I'm, beverage director or handing out cigars and beverages and i'm like the social director slash beverage <laughs> and cigar director for uh, these one there was a great one cube uh coalition united for black enterprise that i attended in nevado uh at a golf course in marine county and the proceeds uh go to you know black businesses that are either struggling right now or they've got potential and they just need some funding uh, so, but I don't swing uh, the clubs and never have really never had an interest in it. Uh, but I do love being outdoors and getting the fresh air and, and uh, engaging with golfers and, and watching them be frustrated and uh, getting a kick out of that instead of having to go through the frustration myself. It's, I know it's during the, uh, the season, but if you can spare time to go to the Phoenix open up in Scottsdale, it, it's nothing like you've ever experienced. If, if you've ever been to a PGA golf tour, it's, the complete polar opposite, but it's, it's an amazing, cool. amazing. Time. I, I love the Royal Palms, uh, Scottsdale, mm. Phoenix area. It might be Scottsdale. I forget where exactly it is, but Tempe, but, uh, it's a great 
great, beautiful property. Mm-hmm. So when I would go over and visit Earl Watson, when he was coaching the Phoenix Suns, I, I think the Final Four was there a couple of years back. That might have been the year Villanova won it when Jenkins hit the shot. That might have been in Phoenix. But uh, but I stay at the Royal Palms, giving them a little plug, so maybe they'll give us a break on the rate <laughs> yeah. if we uh, if we end up staying there. Awesome, yeah. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. I'm getting texted by my wife. I thought you said you were gonna be done at four, but hey. Ooh, don't yeah, don't <laughs> don't get her on. Don't get on the wrong side of your wife. Sorry, right, Kate. You need to talk her down. This this is on. Just you. blame me. She okay. doesn't get mad at me. Yeah, she's yeah. not mad at you. Peacemaker, exactly. It was the question <laughs> about the animals. There's your. There's your out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that question though. The way it works is Kate makes fun of me. I make fun of Kate. Kate texts my wife. My wife comes and yells at me. It's this endless circle now. <laughs> That's teamwork. There's a certain degree of teamwork there, right? Help, yeah. Helping helping one another navigate uh, scenarios or circumstances that are less than ideal. That's what you that's why you guys are a good fit. Appreciate that. So we're going to go ahead and actually wrap it up this time. So check us out at stadiumscene.tv, at stadiumscene on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and TikTok, and at stadium underscore scene on Instagram. And we will see you next time.